Welcome to STEM Punk. My name is Tom. This is a podcast about STEM and what that is. We're at the Australian Science Communicators Festival today doing a live recording of a podcast with some extremely special guests on our panel and I'm excited to introduce those people so that we can start asking them about STEM and what we do as science communicators. First of all, we have Professor Nancy Longnecker. Hello, nice to be here. We also have Dr. Andy Stapleton. Hello. We have Jazz Fellows. Hello. And Dr. Carl. Hello. I love this. We have four interesting people from different areas. We have academics, we have uh, innovators and ex-scientists. I love this. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> we have publishers from Syro Double Helix and Carl, um, who d does what Carl does. Is that, a, is that an okay description of you? Shorter the better. Yeah, good. <laughs> what I'm going to do is ask you a very simple question that we ask all of our guests on Stempunk, and that is... What does STEM mean to you? I'm going to start with you, Dr. Carl. What does STEM mean? Um, I prefer STEAM uh, with the A in it. Uh, so science and technology and uh, engineering and arts and mathematics and basically being knowledgeable enough with a good mental toolbox in your brain so that you can deal with whatever the world throws at you over your academic career, family life, political life, uh, working life. Excellent. I like that you put political life in there. I might come back to that. Jasmine, what is STEM to you? What does STEM mean? I was thinking about this question and three themes came to me. So um, I think STEM is a very human thing. It's quite fundamental. So science is about asking why, um, uh, uh, the T technology, um, it's about advancement, E engineering, um, it's about problem solving and M the math is so beautiful. Um, and those things keep me excited about the work I do. Um, the second thing um, at Double Helix, uh, STEM is more than just science, technology, engineering, maths as subjects. It's about making them relevant uh, and interesting to the lives of young people. So um, that's about finding the hooks um, around STEM. It's about finding those amazing pictures. It's about linking it in with news and events. It's about um, tying it in with pop culture. So uh, things like you know your movies, your games, um, your TV shows, um, other things kids are reading. So we're trying to make it really relevant and ignite that lifelong interest in STEM. And the third thing is um, STEM as a toolbox. Um, it's the questioning, uh, it's the, um, it's, you know, predicting, it's uh, thinking about data collection and applying those observations to life, um, evaluating and um, really uh, communicating those ideas back. And I think that does tie back into that political idea as well. So, you know, more than just what we traditionally think of as STEM, applying it to life. Okay, same question to you, Andy. What does STEM mean to you? You know, so when I look at STEM or STEAM, I agree with uh, Dr. Carl. I much prefer the arts involved. Um, when I look at that word, the one thing that interests me is not the individual letters, but the gaps between them. 
And I think as a scientist, the one thing my research benefit benefited from was the fact that there is overlap and continues to be more and more overlap between the kind of core subjects, between the science, the engineering, technology, maths, and the arts. And I think it's in those places where the most exciting stuff can happen. So for me, STEM is this orgy of letters that come together. Um, and it doesn't, like, it's not in any order. It's not in any particular kind of way. It's just a jumble, a massive pylon of those, uh, those core subjects and that leads to really awesome innovations new things and awesome things that we can talk about and of course I'm going to come back to some of that and finally uh, Nancy what is STEM to you I started out in the natural world being just really curious especially about plants because I love plants they're just amazing uh, how they manage to get everything that they need when they're stuck in one place how do they manage to grow and, and fill out the whole, without them we wouldn't be here. So I guess curiosity about how they work, uh, why, the other thing about STEM, STEAM, I also prefer the STEAM, uh, and the intersection between them is fantastic. Um, the other thing for me is the why, and I think that in STEM, a lot of our outreach is about the what and the how, but I think that philosophically we need to do more about exploring the why and also why not. Sure, sure. Um, I find it very interesting that uh, most of you, I would say all of you agree with the STEAM thing. Uh, unfortunately, steampunk was taken, so I have to go with steampunk, but I love that discussion. That We, uh, we completely <laughs> forgive you, it's okay. <laughs> Almost everyone we ask uh, will mention the A, whether they like it or they don't. So that's, instantly that works, right? I've already started a discussion about STEM just by the name, uh, which is fantastic. I want to come back to the politics thing, uh, Carl. What do you mean by you want people to get involved in, in politics? And like, should we have more STEM in politics or, you know, discuss? Um, we have a problem with the world, uh, physical, um, on the surface, in the carbon dioxide global warming thing, which has been around theoretically for a long time, which in 1973, Munich Re, the world's largest reinsurance company, recognised as causing an increase in their costs, and so they started factoring it into their climate change, in, into their insurance premiums. The scientists had a longer, had, had a higher burden of proof, so it took them till 1989 to realise that global warming was real and that we caused it. And then for a little while, the um, fossil fuel companies, 89, 90, didn't know what to do. And then, according to the New York Times email list, you can read it there on the New York Times, the emails went backwards and forwards among the big fossil fuel companies. Uh, and they argued among themselves, well, we know this global warming thing, this greenhouse effect is real, what should we do about it? And one line of thinking was, well, it's real, let's just turn ourselves from fossil fuel companies into energy companies and move out of fossil fuel, because otherwise we're gonna do really bad things to the world, or let's try and cover it up and mount a massive well-funded disinformation campaign, they went with option number two, according to the emails. And so now we're stuck with the fact that we're seeing it, in increase in the number of storms, the, we're seeing that certain creatures in the ocean can no longer make their shells, ocean, ocean acidification is coming, um, barrier reefs are beginning to die around the world, et cetera, et cetera. We're just seeing the very tip of the big um, wave coming towards us, the deluge, um, and to change it, 
uh, well, go back to the words of Mao Zedong. He said that political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. That's true in some parts of the world. In where we are, political power grows out of the parliament, out of politics. So I'm saying you don't like what is happening? Use your scientific knowledge and get into politics. Become a politician. In Australia, there are 70-odd politicians in parliament. Some of them got in there in the Senate. Some of them got in there on 19 votes. Others got in on 76 votes. Play the game. Get in there. Have a vote out of that 70-odd and change things for the better. That's what I mean by politics. Thanks for that. Anyone else uh, got any ideas about that? If not, I've got more questions. Oh, I do. Um, yeah, I think STEM can play a really big role in helping our young people become informed citizens. So it doesn't necessarily mean become a politician. It doesn't necessarily mean become a scientist. Um, those STEM skills can be really handy in other ways. Uh, I agree. So the 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 word STEM does it does it feature in your workplace? Do you do you actually use STEM in your workplace? Do you want people in your workplace to know about STEM? Like it's a, it's a bit of an open question, but this this term has been given to us STEM, and we don't really know what it means. Like I was saying to Jasmine earlier that everyone I ask has a different question, a different answer, and that's fantastic. But here we are trying to be STEM people, and we don't really know what it means. Uh, even in ourselves. So do you use STEM in your workplace to try and get across that idea or do you just use that as an excuse to talk about science? In our Centre for Science Communication, we use science, not STEM. But it is science in a, in a glo you know, Catholic use of the word. So it is, of course, everywhere and everything. Um, but we don't use the term STEM in our centre. Is is there a push for STEM in New Zealand? Well, uh, everyone would know would know what it means and and be familiar with it, but I don't sense there's a push to use it. And if there is, it would be more STEAM than STEM. Uh -huh. yeah. What about you, Andy? In your startup career? Yeah. How, what is, how does it feature? Uh, so STEM is a great way. Like as soon as you reduce something to an acronym, it's it's fine within a certain group of people. So. You know, uh, when I talk, I, I don't talk about STEM with anyone outside of my company um, in terms of like that as, a, as an acronym, but in terms of like reaching people, I think letting them know that what we're talking about is um, a combination of science, technology, engineering, maths, or arts, or whatever, um, is certainly a, a useful tool to bring people together. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of talking about STEM, as a as a thing, um, it yeah, it's not useful apart from within a very sort of select group of people. That's so interesting. I I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I win <laughs> podcast points already. <laughs> Go. Um, when STEM, as a term, is used by the politicians, then it's probably time to abandon it. Okay. <laughs> so Good. on one hand, I was in an Asian country earlier this year, invited by the government to do a speaking tour. They kept on talking. Wherever I went, there was a local politician and bureaucrats talking about how important STEM was. Simultaneously with them talking about STEM, there was also a cutting back of all funding on science to schools. And so there are no longer any experiments done in the high schools in this country 
in physics or chemistry or biology, but rather they look at YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to the university with the people there, and the chemistry professors told me that they're getting students from high school who literally do not know how to ignite a Bunsen burner, who do not know how to measure the volume of liquid in a glass, whether you go to the bottom or the top of the meniscus, who do not know how to pipette. So in that case, that's an example of where STEM has gone uh, too far, being used by the politicians. In Australia recently, I heard a politician talking about STEM at the same time as they were talking about our wonderful space program. Okay, here's two options. Option number one, New Zealand has a space program and they've just launched their second or third rocket just the other day. In Australia, what we've done is we've put $25 million into a space agency over four years, which won't even pay for the wages. If you drive on Anzac Parade in Sydney, you'll see a road bridge for pedestrians going over Anzac Parade near Moore Park. It's built in the wrong place. Nobody uses it. It costs $38 million. We, are, we have spent one and a half times as much to build a bridge, which lifts people off the ground by five metres, <laughs> than we have one and a half times as much as we have spent on a space program, which is supposed to get us into space. But all the time that the politicians are talking about it, on one hand, they give no money. On the other hand, they say STEM over and over because if things go wrong, they can remember, just say STEM and people will fall for it. I heard a stat that um, uh, the, f the budget for the film Gravity was uh, something like one and a half times the, the cost it took for the Indian Space Agency to put something in orbit. Um, the Indians were able to get a spacecraft to go past Mars for only $70 million. Movies typically are of the order of $100 plus million. And so I like movies, I like space programs, let's have both. You know when that movie Gravity came out, I didn't know it was a film. I just thought Sandra Bullock and George Clooney were going around doing his press conference about the concept of gravity. I thought that was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Jasmine, your perspective is very interesting to me about STEM because you talk to uh, primary school kids a lot. Uh, with Syro Double Helix, how much influence does STEM mean to you? Like, how much do you try and get that across to them? A lot of the time we're talking about not so much the acronym, but it in full, so science, you know, technology, engineering, maths, because um, we went out and talked to a bunch of people last year and there was this uncertainty around the acronym. At Double Helix, we often talk about science, technology, engineering and maths in full rather than using the acronym because we went out and spoke to people last year to see if they really understood. Surprise, surprise, not everybody did. Um, so we are using those as subject matter, but perhaps not as STEM as a unit right now. Okay, I'm going to uh, move away a little bit from STEM because uh, what we do in this podcast is we also talk about what people do outside of their work. So I want to ask uh, all of you, um, when you are not STEMing, what are you doing? When you're not at work doing STEM, what are you doing? What do you do at home? What do you, here's another way of asking the question. When people stop listening to this, when the, you know, when the podcast ends, they take their earphones out, what do you want them to go and find out about? What do you want them to look up? I play a lot of ukulele. <laughs> and um, I sing a bit too. Not necessarily very well. <laughs> 
I'm sure you do it very well. It's good fun. And um, I think it's a really lovely community activity that brings people together and has quite an important social function. So you're in one of those ukulele clubs that yes. sit around at a bowling <laughs> club and yeah, cool. What's your favourite song to play on the ukulele? I quite like a bit of Imagine Dragons. Uh, Believer is one of my favourites. Um, we actually come together and um, use Gangalan Library, so that's in Canberra, um, as a venue. So it's really nice to um, be able to connect uh, community in those kinds of places. I think they're really important in society. I heard that, I think it's New Zealand, cor correct me if I'm wrong, but they, uh, instead of doing recorder in kindy and year one, they do ukulele, is that right? Um, I don't know, because my daughter was in year 11 when we moved to New Zealand, uh. um, but that would not surprise me. <laughs> but I think one thing about the ukulele, I'm, I'm in a choir, a community choir as well, and there, there is um, research out there that shows how we sync and we get into sync when we sing, and I imagine also produce other kinds of music together. So it is a really good way for people to connect, and I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. So there you've just answered my question of what do you do outside STEM? Okay, well, so outside of STEM, the choir is one thing. I have a, a few, because I've moved to a new um, place. I moved to another country, and I've obviously done that before. You can tell from my accent. But when I did it before, I was in my 20s and single and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, you know, I can do this. This is easy. I've done this before. And it's, it's quite different when you move and you're in your 50s or 60s. Um, and so I have joined the choir. I'm in a reading group, re a book club, and I started taking up weaving. So I, I go to the loom room once a week. And all of those are wonderful, wonderful activities. Outside of STEM, Andy, what do you do? Uh, I've got this terrible kind of habit of taking up everything that I'm interested in at once. So, uh, I, so let's backtrack. So recently I took up coding, uh, which sort of supported my um, entrepreneurial spirit, which is where verbalize.science, the startup I've created, came from. Um, and outside of that, I also do a fair bit of uh, Brazilian percussion. So I'm the musical director of a community samba band called Sasamba, so S-A Samba. Go check it out. <laughs> uh, there's some awesome photos of me directing a whole crowd, and I look like Jesus. So like, <laughs> I feel like that's the closest I'll ever get to like, having my own cult. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, so I do a lot of yeah, Brazilian percussion. We do um, festivals, theater things, like lots of stuff I really like. Um, I started doing a little bit of stand-up comedy as well, which I really like. Um, and I also like one of my favorite hobbies recently, I've only picked this up, is sneaking up on people and scaring them. Uh, I don't know why <laughs> I really like that, but my poor partner is suffering. Uh, so yeah, just sneaking up. And another thing as well, I've got a lovely Cocker Spaniel. And uh, when she rolls on her back, I will rub her belly until it's red raw. And she doesn't seem to mind. So those are my hobbies. You also have a podcast yourself, right? Oh, I do. Thanks very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, cross promotion. <laughs> Publish, perish or podcast is a uh, podcast we released about two years ago. And it was inspired because we were sat around in the tea room um, when I was doing my postdoc. And uh, well, there were three of us who used to get together and essentially just complain a little bit. We started finding that people were coming and arranging their, their lunch times at when we would get together, the group of three of us. So what we did is decided that there was potentially an opportunity to, to use our connection uh, 
on a podcast, and so it's for early career researchers. We talk about uh, we had a review from the state uh, from the United Kingdom, and it said uh, this podcast is great. It's a bunch of Australian scientists. Um, talking about career development and inappropriate things. <laughs> and I was like, you got it in one. <laughs> um, I like the coding thing. I also went on to do a coding uh, course online because there was an XKCD joke I didn't get. So oh. I went and learned Python just to get the joke. I think, I think you've got all <laughs> sorts of problems other than that. But, uh, well, congratulations. <laughs> did you, you work it out, by the way? The joke? Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay, good on you. How many hours of uh, coding did that <laughs> take you? A lot, and it wasn't that funny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have enough time to answer my question, Carl? Um, yeah, so if you're asking about out-of-hours stuff, um, basically I hang out with the family. How's that for boring? It's amazing. <laughs> Carl, can I hang out with your family? <laughs> well, uh, we did go and see A Star Is Born. And to my surprise, Gwen Stefani is not Lady Gaga. It's Stefani <laughs> somebody else. The things you find out when you go to the movies. <laughs> and Tom, I think I met you through a different hobby, something that wasn't STEM. Um, we me. met doing Brazilian martial arts, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh, have any of you heard of capoeira? Yeah, yeah, I run a Brazilian group, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, capoeira is uh, insane. Uh, it's it's a Brazilian martial art. So it came it came from um, uh, the, the the tribes, uh, like African tribes in in Brazil, and there was it was outlawed that they couldn't fight anymore. But that's how they they solved arguments. So all of the uh, the Portuguese slave masters told them not to fight anymore so they just did it anyway but made it look like a dance so they fight and backflip a bit every now and then and they give each other nicknames uh, so that no one else could you know figure out who you were uh, and it's fantastic now it's just this evolved into a martial arts which is in very very hurty on your legs if you don't do it for a while and your feet one of the first training sessions I ever went to, they made us do that. You know, the wheelbarrow, you collect someone's legs and they walk on their hands up and down stairs for a while. After that, we had to handstand for a minute doing push-ups and also then cartwheel around a 400-meter track. That was training no session number one. Yeah, my first training session, someone was coming at me with a broom and I had to cartwheel over it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, exciting but intense. <laughs> Can I ask, is there any space for scaring people in this martial art world or...? <laughs> Uh, absolutely, yeah. Right, right, I'm right. in. I'm coming for you. I, I thought what we reported was scary enough, actually. <laughs> uh, do any of you have any questions for these wonderful people about STEM or anything else? So I'll just repeat the question if we didn't hear it. So the, the connection between music, do we see a connection between STEM and science and music? So uh, when I was sort of like trying to embrace my entrepreneurial spirit, I actually formed a series of workshops for schools, and it was the science of samba. And what I found is that I was able to talk about, you know, the, the sound waves and why this, why this drum makes a really low sound. Samba's got a whole hierarchy of instruments, right from bass drum surdos all the way through to tambourines, little tiny drums. Um, and so using that as a platform, I was able to run a series of workshops around rural um, South Australia. Uh, which I ended because working in schools is scary. <laughs> Have you ever worked in schools? What someone once they took one of my shakers and they like, I w they were just waiting for me to look around. It was a group of about thirty, and I made eye contact, and they just stopped and they crushed my instrument in front of me <laughs> and just let it go. And I was like, oh my. God. Anyway, so I have combined the two. It works really well. You just have to be brave. I think it's, um, it's all about creativity. So there's music, there's art, 
and different people, you know, I think it's coincidence perhaps that we, this particular panel has a, a, a more focus on music, but I think you could equally find a panel that would do more fine art or other sorts of creativity. But I think that any science communicator that I have ever met, I will be bold, is, is curious, is creative, and usually generous. I'm also quite excited about music and maths and the interface between those. I've been doing a bit more music theory lately and looking at intervals and, and patterns of notes. Um, I think there's a lot there to be explored. Thanks for the question. Any other questions? I, I can definitely say I have no idea about the evolutional history of the uh, or entomology of the word stem or steam. Over to you, Dr. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Carl. It happened. You called me Dr. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh, oh, brilliant. I need to... Whoo, uh, thank you. Keep rubbing. Uh, so, I... Uh, do you know what? I first heard about steam when it was, it was accompanied with the wet, sloppy noise of eyes rolling when I was speaking to co-workers. <laughs> they were like, have you heard about this steam? And they were like, ugh, this is so rubbish, right? And I think that still is around today. Uh, one of the guys, Cameron, on the podcast, he often talks about, like, keep the arts away. He's very pure. He's like, I just want to do, you know, he's a researcher. He loves research. He's like, I want to keep my research. Don't start telling me I have to do all these other artsy interface things. My research is valuable. That's exactly what I want to do. So I learned about it uh, two or three years ago, like, you know, like I said, not in the, the best light. But now having changed from science to science communication, clearly I see the benefit. Clearly it's worthwhile. Um, I think we should stop looking at scientists to implement the, the arts aspect. And that's where collaboration comes in. Um, because to be honest, a lot of them just aren't interested. Go for it. Okay. Sorry, that's a soapbox for me. Um, there, there are certainly scientists who should not be anywhere near a microphone. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and should be nowhere near um, the communicating with the public. They should focus on what they're good at, which is their science. But most of us are actually pretty good at communicating about something that we're passionate about. And so in a lot of, in a lot of times, the, the scientist is a great communicator. And when you add in that creativity of the art, we, we live in a world of, of complex and, you know, the wicked problems and everything else. We have to work together. We have to bring in multiple perspectives, different ways of looking at things. So um, I, I, I accept the fact that there are going to be people who don't want to interact, don't want to get out there, don't want to engage. Put them away in the lab. Let them get on with it. But for most of us, we need to be out there. Okay, I want to uh, close it down now so that we can all get to uh, have a bit of food and the next session. Um, but now that there are people here, I want to... <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> more people. Now that there are more people here, um, can you please thank my amazing panel? That was lots of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you.
This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au.